0: The whole idea is how do individuals thrive in the workplace? That's really what the Ken Blanchard Companies is all about, is about how do we help people be magnificent at work? And so we said the individual has a role to play. Empowerment is not something that someone does to you. It's an opportunity that you take advantage of, that you use. And so we really believe that we need to arm individuals within the organization with the skill that they need to get what they need.
1: Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have two incredible guests lined up for you today. One of them is an icon in the business and in the personal development industry. And along with his collaborator, he has put together a phenomenal book and a phenomenal program. I am speaking, of course, of none other than Ken Blanchard and Susan Fowler, the authors of Self Leadership and The One Minute Manager. Welcome, Ken and Susan. Well, it's (laughs)
2: great to be with you, Nikki. I love your enthusiasm. I
0: do too. Thank you, (laughs) Nikki.
2: Oh, it's my
1: pleasure. It's absolutely my pleasure. So, you know, I've been following your career for a couple of decades, Ken. I read The One Minute Manager – when I first got Tony Robbins' Personal Power Two program, it was just awesome to hear your voice giving it a strong endorsement. It, it, it made me believe and trust in it more. And Susan, I, I, I don't know you or of you as well, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you. Please tell us your backstory. How'd you come to collaborate together and create this incredible book and this incredible program?
2: Well, you know, Nikki, <clears throat> we have been teaching situational leadership, which is how do you really build a trusting relationship with another individual? And we would also have been doing some works on team and Susan uh, started working with us and doing seminars and teaching the one minute manager. and And she was the one that said, gee, we ought to do something around how does an individual take situational leadership and use it to uh, impact and get the success that they want? And so uh, it was really Susan that pushed this and and got us excited about it.
0: Yeah, situational leadership is such a, a phenomenal model. It's the most used management model in the world and one of the most researched models in the world. And as I was really getting to understand it and the brilliance behind it, I just thought, wow, what if individuals understood how to manage themselves and manage up and ask their leaders for what they need rather than always just waiting or depending. And in some cases, uh, being a victim as they don't get what they need.
1: That's fascinating. Uh, And I want to delve into that a great deal more. Susan, how did you how did your path cross Ken's? And vice you know, versa, this, Ken.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know if Ken even knows this, but I was traveling all over the world working with an organization, doing seminars.
2: And, Is that a career track? Yeah. yeah.
0: And I said, you know, I could live anywhere I want to live for, with this kind of a job. So I got out the map and I mapped out three places that I said I would really like to go and I started investigating. And what I discovered was that um, the Salk, Jonas Salk... Um, Jim Cathcart and Ken Blanchard, three people, and Brian Tracy. There's a number of people that I was following at the time, all lived in San Diego.
2: We're not that dumb. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's the most beautiful went, city oh, in the world. Lord.
0: Exactly. And I said, wow, it's, it's like a, a vortex or something that, cr- you know, people are called to. And that's why I moved here. And I said, I want to get to know Jonas Salk and Ken Blanchard. Jonas Salk died. So, um, Ken.
2: <laughs> I, I won
1: out. Yeah. By default almost, right?
0: <laughs> no, I, it, it was really something. I remember getting the One Minute Manager book uh, when it first came out and it revolutionized my world. And so I, it was very intentional that I sought
2: him out. And that uh, Susan's creativity and energy was really attractive to me. And what I love about you, Susan, uh, and I love about people that are successful, they're learners. They're not just teachers, and you're always constantly learning. And so together we started saying, wow, this is really going to be interesting. How can we help individuals who learn situational leadership use it? Uh, even though maybe their boss might not even know it or somebody else might not know it. That's fascinating. So you developed
1: this program primarily for the individual rather than within a corporate setting.
0: It's within the corporate setting, but it's the whole idea is how do individuals thrive in the workplace? That's really what the Ken Blanchard Companies is all about, is about how do we help people be magnificent at work? And so we said the individual has a role to play, Um empowerment is not something that someone does to you. It's an opportunity that you take advantage of, that you use. And so we really believe that we need to arm individuals within the organization with the skill that they need to get what they need.
1: That's powerful. I like that. I really, really like that. And, you know, that word magnificence, I really think that's a powerful word. It's a very persuasive word too, isn't it?
2: Yes, I think that, you know, people are put on earth, I think, to be the best uh, person that they can possibly be in terms of who they are. And how do you find out what your skill level is and where you're both uh, useful? And in the process, how do you help that happen? Rather than sitting around saying, nobody's noticing me and all, you know, be more proactive. Ask for what you uh, want. You know, one of the one of the wonderful things that we say in the self-leadership program is if if you ask somebody to do something for you and they say no, they haven't turned you down. A lot of people say, I'm afraid to ask because they'll turn me down. No, Helena Roosevelt said nobody can make you feel inferior without your permission. That's true. And all they've done is turn down your proposition and go so find somebody else who'll say yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, in fact, one of our subtitles in our book is The Magic of No Excuses. So, you know, with all the resources available, why not take advantage of those?
2: And we start off by talking about what are the assumed constraints uh, that you have? What is the messages other people have tried to put in your head as well as you put in your head that says you can't do things? And how do you get rid of those assumed constraints and, and free them for yourself up?
0: Yeah, assumed constraints are beliefs that you have that limit your experience. And so it's really important for us to really look at our belief systems. And so it's amazing how many people say, well, you know, my boss makes more money than I do. So my boss should know what I need and my boss should give it to me rather than saying, you know what? This is my life. I'm the one that's experiencing it. And if I'm not getting what I need, I need to be proactive and, and get it. So what we try to help individuals do is to break through those assumed constraints, mm-hmm. those beliefs that we have based on past experience that oftentimes prevent us from really living in the moment or being proactive and taking advantage of the moment.
1: You know, that's very powerful. Uh, I, I like that phrase, assume constraints, because uh, to me, A good analogy for this could be a relationship, uh, 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 an intimate, long-term, committed relationship. Many people have assumed constraints inside their relationships. They think that their partner should know what they're thinking or should know what's most important to them. They haven't actually communicated that to their partner, and that's part of what causes problems, correct?
0: Well, and Nikki, think about this. Your partner loves you. Your manager probably doesn't even love you, and we're expecting (laughs) the same thing from our manager.
2: (laughs) Yeah. That's good. People are not mind readers. That's right. You know, and so that's really uh, clear. Second thing that we help people on is a lot of people think if my boss is in charge, you know, that boss has got position power and I don't have any power And we try to show them that that actually there's a variety of points of power, and they need to look at which ones they have and how they can increase them. And uh, so we deal with points of power uh, so that people can realize that they're not limited.
0: You know, uh, this is something that the Ken Blanchard Companies is really doing a lot of work around. Actually, we've done some really great research on the nature of power and how the power that leaders have, how it diminishes people's motivation and ultimately their engagement, their level of engagement. And I think what we really need to do is to teach individuals that there's a wide variety of types of power. And if I look at like even what's happening with the Me Too movement and, you know, what we call sexual harassment is really a, a power issue. It's really about power. It doesn't it matter is. what, if you're male or female, it's it's about power. And so we need to teach individuals that just because you have position power doesn't mean that's the only form of power. Uh, tell them what your dad said, Ken. Um, do you remember what Admiral said about?
2: Yeah. When I, uh, when the president of the seventh grade, you know, when I was living in New Rochelle, I came home, I was all pumped up. My dad Retired as an admiral in the Navy, say, Congratulations, Ken, but now you're president. Don't ever use your position because the great leaders are great because people respect and trust them, not because they have power. And I think a lot of times people love to get leadership positions because they're going to have power. And we think it's the power to empower, probably. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> in fact, I think we quote um, Admiral Blanchard and say that the best place to be is to have position power but never have to use it.
1: That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's brilliant. I like that. I like that a lot. John Maxwell talks a lot about leadership and and the various levels of leadership. and He says that position power is the least powerful form of power.
0: Well, that's what our research is bearing out as well, that any time an individual senses that you're acting from position or legitimate power, coercive power, even reward power, that it diminishes their sense of relatedness with you and undermines their sense of autonomy. Um, So it's really important that leaders understand that just by virtue of their title, um, you know, if you get in an elevator, a woman was sharing this uh, story with me, she got in the elevator and a man gets on and it's the ceo of this 50,000 person company the only reason she knew who he was was cuz she'd seen his picture in the annual reports and in videos and stuff and she just she just was like shaking she was so nervous and by the time he got off the elevator she was really angry that they hadn't spoken and you know if it had been somebody else she wouldn't have had a second thought about it so he wasn't exerting his power he just had it but she she allowed herself to let his power really affect her entire mood for the rest of the day.
1: You know what? That's too bad because um, I know. There, if she'd been able to reframe that situation, she would have exactly. she, she probably been able to have a nice conversation with this individual and uh, it could have completely uplifted her for the rest of the day rather than make her angry.
2: One of the things, Nikki, we talk about with our work is people today are looking for side by side leadership rather than top down. Top down was more on position power side by side is it's about the relationship uh, and it's, relationships are two way. It's not one way.
0: Yeah, and you know what, Ken, I think that's so powerful because a lot of organizations that we work with really focus on leadership training. And so, Nikki, one of the reasons we're so thrilled to have this opportunity to share our message is that... We're really encouraging organizations to broaden the way they approach training and leadership training, that if, it, if you're going to have side-by-side leadership, the other half of that is the self-leader. And if they don't have the skills to communicate effectively, let me just give you an example um, because one of the other things that we teach in our course is to be proactive. And research is showing that the most critical, essential part of the success of any organizational initiative is the proactive behavior of self-leaders, of individual contributors. And yet we don't focus on on them and, and empowering them to do the work they need to do to have the organization be successful. So I, I think it's a real important message to get out there that it's not just about leadership training. It's about individual contributor training on how to be a self-leader. Mm-hmm.
1: I like that. That's very powerful. You've packed a lot of gold in this book. Tell me yeah. more. Tell me Tell me the some la- of the, the other last, things you've brought in last through it. The key
2: part, uh, uh, Nikki, is what we call c- collaborating or collaboration for success. And this is where we tie in situational leadership, too. Uh, to it where we have people look at what well, what what are the goals that you have in mind, and then how do you analyze your own development level? Is this a goal that is brand new for you, and so you're an enthusiastic beginner, and you need some direction and, and close supervision, or is it a goal you've worked on but haven't been successful, and you're kind of a disillusioned learner when you probably need both direction and uh, support. You need a kind of a coaching style. Is it something that you have the skills, you're really capable, but you don't have the confidence? Well, you probably need support. Or is it a goal that you're a self-directed achiever? I mean, you know, you can do it. And one of the things that's interesting about New Year's resolutions, because it's the beginning of the year, the reason why they don't work in most cases, they say by February, 90% of them have dropped because when you announce a New Year's resolution, everybody important in your life says, oh, isn't that wonderful? I'll believe it when I see it. And they go to a delegating leadership style. If you if you could handle a delegating leadership style, it wouldn't be a New Year's resolution. You <laughs> would do it, you know, and so that's the wrong thing. And so what do we do with uh, Collaborating for Success is help them uh, look at uh, where they are the goal and how do they ask for the help that they need?
0: Yeah, we actually teach people how to have proactive conversations. So if I'm an enthusiastic beginner, how do I actually ask for the direction I need? And if I am a disillusioned learner, how do I ask for both the direction and the support I need? And it's either from my manager or it's from someone else. And, you know, what if I'm getting micromanaged? What if I know what I'm doing, but I'm being micromanaged? How do I have that proactive conversation that helps my manager understand that He or she is wasting their time by giving me all this direction, and it's really their need, not mine. So we actually teach people how to do that. Um, One of the other things that we teach that I'm really excited about is to proactively ask for feedback. The Neuro Leadership Institute just did a really intense and intensive uh, study on feedback and discovered that despite all of the good intentions of leaders through training and all the emphasis on giving feedback— that either leaders don't do it or they don't like doing it, or they're really bad at doing it. They said that 64% of the feedback given actually does more damage than good. And their conclusion is something that we've been doing now for almost two decades. And their conclusion was, we need to teach people how to ask for feedback because then it's going to be timely. They're going to neurologically be open to hearing it. And it's going to be accepted because they're choosing to ask and they're choosing to listen. So we're really excited about the fact that something we've been doing for decades uh, is now really being proven out even by neuroscience.
2: So, In the whole philosophy here is that God didn't make any junk <laughs> and uh, you really are okay, and, and you need to uh, get that self confidence to be able to uh, help other people win as well as help have people help you.
0: You know, what, Ken, I'm so glad you said that because I think a lot of people tend to think that self leadership means being selfish. And there's a real difference be- between accepting responsibility and taking initiative and being self-focused. Um, I think what we're really trying to teach people is that if you want to be magnificent, then that, in fact, we actually say, we quote Lord Byron, I think it is, it said that the greatest reason to have power, the, the purpose of power is the ability to do more good. Mm-hmm. And that's what we really want to teach people. Mm-hmm. That's the underlying message to to do more good. Sure. Wow.
1: You've just given our listener a ton of gold, a ton of gold. That's a powerful quote from Lord Byron. So give me more. What else are some of the key concepts that are in the book that you want our listener to know about?
0: Well, I've got my favorite quote that's in the book, and I wish I knew who said it. So, you know, can we always say that we could start off giving people attribute like so-and-so said, yeah. and then after a while we say, it's been said. And then finally we go, I've always said I know <laughs> But that's not the case. I honestly don't know who said this, and I've looked it up. I've tried to uh, give it attribution. But my favorite quote is, a person who does not have a goal. Is used by someone who does. So, <laughs> wow! So if you, Brilliant. So if if you if you find yourself under pressure or resenting or feeling used or manipulated, look in the mirror.
2: Yeah, yeah, you're responsible for the condition you're in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so that that's what's really exciting because we think that effective leadership is a transformational journey, but it starts with the self, and then we go to one-on-one leadership where you're trying to build a sense of trust with people then it goes on to team leadership where you're trying to develop a kind of a sense of community and then finally organizational leadership where you're trying to you know build a culture uh, but it, does, it has to start with your, yourself and if we teach all these other things first without people get, taking a look, we have a master's degree program at the University of San Diego in leadership because I looked at all the MBA programs and they don't teach anything about leadership. They shove it in an organizational behavior class and and all and so uh, Susan and Andrea Zagarmi start the program off with the whole you know uh, week of teaching them about self-leadership and and uh, giving them an opportunity to find out who they are and, in all of these kinds of things. And then we kind of move the journey uh, along the way, but it starts with yourself.
0: Yeah. You know, um, I think that if we could teach people to not be victims, and it's really interesting. It doesn't matter what your role in the organization is. A lot of people are just miserable at work because they feel victimized. And what I mean by victimized is that everything that happens to them is somebody else's fault. And if, if we can, really help people understand the power behind accepting responsibility and taking initiative. What we're finding is that they they literally improve the quality of their lives. I just saw a fascinating study that shows that if people just do a couple of proactive actions during the day, they literally, by the end of the day, experience less stress and a greater sense of well-being, which means they go home and they don't kick the dog and they don't argue with their families and they don't eat, overeat. Um, It really makes a difference. And so if we could just teach people every day, you know, okay, maybe I'm going to ask for some feedback today, or maybe I'm actually going to make a choice and be mindful about it. I'm going to ask my boss for what I need, or I'm going to learn something new. That if we can teach people to do those things, we literally are improving the quality of their life.
1: Wow, again, gold, absolute gold in there. So I wanna switch gears for a moment and talk about thought leadership. So the people that are listening to this podcast, they tend to be coaches, consultants, business owners, entrepreneurs, for the most part. And they're really interested in learning from you as as thought leaders, how they can position themselves as a thought leader. So we've identified five pillars of thought leadership. And I just want to get your comments on how you've applied them in your work and how you've applied them from the perspective of running your business and, and your own personal brands. So the first one is in order to be a thought leader, you need to have world-class IP. So what are your comments on that?
0: Well, can I just say something? Because I have a real strong opinion about this one.
2: Yeah, you're (laughs) loud.
0: Well, I always think you should speak first, but um, I really have asked, I, I, I just blogged about this recently, that people would be more discerning when they're reading blogs and reading articles, that there's a difference between being a subject matter expert and a thought leader, that a lot of thought leaders on social media are people who know how to work social media. That Mm. doesn't mean they're good thinkers. It doesn't mean that they really have an expertise in a particular field. I can't believe how much stuff I read that I know is absolutely probably total junk. (laughs) Total junk. (laughs) Yeah, little junk. And um, I'm really careful with what I share. And so I, I, I just really think that I'm so pleased that that's one of your first criteria is that you really have to have an expertise. You have to have intellectual property that is meaningful, is research-based, that is empirical, or at least it's got good street credibility.
2: Thank you. And, you know, that's a, that comes from being a constant learner, you know, and what's out up there Do don't, uh, Bury yourself in, this, in the sand and think you've already learned it. Or
0: regurgitate what somebody yeah. else says just because you're, you've are got a deadline.
2: One of my favorite sayings I got from, my, I wrote a book with Norman Vincent Peale one time. He said that, uh, you know, if if you stop learning, lie down and let them throw the dirt on you because you're already dead. <laughs> That's very true.
1: So. <laughs> That's very true. So you're both believers in this. Good, good stuff. And you've applied it in the work that you've done. So the second thing which I think dovetails nicely with the first pillar is that in order to be a thought leader you need to pursue a strategy of preeminence. You need to be the best or one of the best in your field in order for you to really be a thought leader. What are your comments on that?
2: Well, why would you want to try to do something if you wouldn't or going to try to be the best that you can possibly be? It's not competitive. With other people, it's the best that you can be. Uh, And I I think that's that that whole concept of uh, how do I be the best Ken Blanchard that I possibly can be? I don't need to sort of compare myself with Susan. When Susan and I get together, how together can we be the best?
0: Well, way way to go, Ken, because you're absolutely right on that. I think it is, um, and I find myself getting trapped in that, and especially with social media thought leadership, is that you may get envious or jealous of somebody or, or whatever. And I, I had an experience where I had spent years building some recognition, name recognition um, in social media and uh, really promoting my books and all that kind of stuff. And then a, a woman named Susan Fowler wrote one blog about being sexually harassed at Uber and brought down the president of Uber. And suddenly she was the if, oh my you t- God. if you type Susan Fowler online, yeah. that's who you get now. Yeah. And at first I was so jealous and envious. And, and then I started reading her stuff and thought, you know what? This woman was courageous. She really had an mm. impact. She had an effect. I'm really happy I share her name. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and and you know, it's 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 put me back in terms of, you know, people being able to find me online. But... Um, I, I just think you can't go into it and say, I'm going to be the best in a competitive way, but the best that you can be. And years ago I said to my husband, uh, Drea Zagarmi, I said, I want the penny. I leave the world. I want it to be around motivation. I want people to understand why they do what they do. And, and I want to know as much in the world as anybody about that topic. And so I'm dedicated. I'm not there but I'm dedicated to uh, that pursuit of of being the best I can be around the topic of motivation.
2: But you're not competing with Maslow or anybody. I'm no. not
0: competing with Maslow, <laughs> but I do have comments about Maslow <laughs> and a few yeah. others.
2: Well, I think uh, one of the things I like about myself is that I'm not a competitive guy with other people in our really field. And I just came out in March with a book called Servant Leadership in Action. And I got 41 people that contribute short articles in this and uh you know john maxwell wrote the forward but lencioni's in it marshall goldsmith and kuzis and posner and laurie beth jones and francis hesselbaum and all these people because uh they don't see me as sort of trying to be better than them but but uh, how can together we do something uh that is growthful
1: that's brilliant i love that You know, Ken, and that's one of the things you're known for. Yeah, it's true. It is. One of my mentors is a man by the name of Matt Church. Matt Church wrote the book, The Thought Leader Practice. And this is what he says about thought leadership. He says that an expert is someone who knows something. And it's great to be an expert. But a thought leader is someone who's known for knowing something. Um, And in order to be able to be known for knowing something, you need to really have a strong grounding in the third pillar of thought leadership, which is clarity. You need to have a clear message, and you need to have a very clear target audience. What are your comments on that?
2: Well, clarity is really important. I, I tell people my real goal in life is to get the BS out of the behavioral sciences. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> nice, I nice. Make what we know about things clear uh, in simple, non-complicated ways. And I think, Susan, you do that all the time, and that's what's...
0: Well, I think, you know, it was your son, Scott, who Mm -hmm. um, first made me aware of the uh, quote of simplicity is getting to the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. So I think simple thinking made simple is not good thinking, but simple thinking based on complex ideas, getting to the other side of complexity. Mm -hmm. And so that's become my my goal, and I'm not always there. And I think that one of the reasons I love... Blogging and doing social media is—it gives me a chance to, to kind of, put it out there, get feedback. Like, what the heck was that about? Yeah. You know, that was complicated, Susan. Yeah. You know, and can constantly refine it. Mm-hmm. Um, James Michener said, "I'm not so much a writer as I am an editor." Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. always working towards clarity of your mm-hmm. ideas. Yeah. So you need to have clarity if you're going to be able to express clarity. So that others can absorb it, and that's that's been Ken's brilliance uh, throughout all the years. He's a really good role model for that.
1: I love James Michener. Glad you glad you quoted him. <laughs> so that's very powerful. So
0: Oliver Wendell Holmes. I quote. That's who it was who said, "Getting to the other side of complexity." I just wanted to make sure I quoted the right person. Oliver
1: there. Wendell Holmes. Okay, it's very funny cool.
2: about So I went into a office building and they had this quote on the wall and it said, Ken Blanchett under it. And I looked like, I I never said that, but I said, I'm happy, I'm happy to accept that. That's a great quote. You'll take the credit, right? (laughs) That's cool.
1: That's awesome. I love that. That's great. Okay. So the next pillar is leverage. For a thought leader, leverage is important because a lot of people who get into the industry just do one thing. They just do one-on-one coaching or they just do training or they're just a speaker. But a true thought leader is able to leverage their message across multiple modes of delivery and and, and are even able to leverage an audience with multiple messages. What are your thoughts and comments on leverage and the importance of that in your own career and your own work as well as for the people listening?
0: Well, Ken, you started a company. Yeah, that's a good way to leverage.
2: It, so. Yeah, no, I think uh, it's uh, it's so important that that you're constantly looking for ways that you can get your message out to wider audiences, so you can have a bigger uh, impact. You know, if it's just one-on-one stuff, you're helping a few people. But how can you take what you've learned from those one-on-one experiences and share it with other people, so that other people could have good experiences too? <laughs>
0: Yeah. You know, I've ha- had colleagues who said, wow, Susan, why did you hitch your wagon to the Ken Blanchard companies? Why didn't you strike off on your own? And and I said, because Ken Blanchard companies has the ability to get the message that I care so much about, uh, you know, so much um, better than if I was just on my own. So we leverage social media. I, I do my own social media in addition to what we do with the Ken Blanchard companies. But we have dozens and dozens and hundreds of people, well, probably thousands of people around the world training our programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just telling Ken, I'm going to Russia and Egypt and Australia and China and Korea and Thailand and, you know, over the next couple of months. And those are all blanchard partners all over the world. And I'm getting a chance to share our message with a wide, diverse audience. Oh my gosh. I mean, for me, it doesn't get better than that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a- it's exciting to see that the, the messages play around the world. That's yeah. when you know you've taken complex stuff and made it simple and applicable because it goes in different cultures. Yeah.
1: That's brilliant. I love that. So the final pillar is the importance of having mentors and peers. Now, Ken, I know you believe in that. I believe in that. Susan, I suspect you believe in that too. Please comment on this.
2: Well, I think mentors are really important. Uh, I just wrote a book recently with Claire Diaz Ortiz, and she was one of the first employees at Twitter, and she wrote a book called Twitter for Good. She got the Pope to tweet, and, <laughs> and all. She came to me, and she's now I think maybe thirty-four or five, and said, In "The past Ken, mentors have always been older, and us youngins can use your wisdom. But you older folks could also learn a lot from us younger, particularly around technology." And I, I think that when people think about mentoring they say oh god a responsibility i've got to teach this person no if you have a mentoring opportunity remember you're going to learn just as much as they learn uh, from you so uh, i think we all need need mentors and and we'd all need opportunities to mentor others it's a a way to grow uh, i think beautifully
0: yeah you know back in the gosh late 19 19- hundreds, <laughs> the 1990s, I did a, a cassette tape, an audio tape on mentoring, how to foster the most crucial relationship in your in your career. And it was all from a self-perspective. It was um, how do you make yourself attractive to a mentor? How do you find a mentor? How to be a mentor magnet? Um, I had all of these strategies to help individuals because mentoring, having a mentor was seen as the number one Way to accelerate your career and to um and to learn and grow. And yet mentoring in terms of a skill is the most complex, sophisticated, it's the number one skill in this index of skills in terms of its complexity. So again, to, you know, waiting for a mentor to find you and to be good enough to share with you you might be waiting for a time if you look at all the great mentoring relationships over history ford and edison it goes you know on and on it they were initiated by the mentee and so i think it's really important for individuals to say wow it's my responsibility to go out there Based on my values, based on my dreams and my aspirations, find a mentor. And then if you're a really good mentee, what I've discovered, like Kent just said, you actually learn more as a mentor than you do as a mentee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a really beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship.
1: I like it. I like it. And what about peers? What about the importance of, of having great peers or being in mastermind groups and having having like uh, a, uh, an executive coach and that sort of thing?
0: Well, can I just say, Ken, that the reason I wanted to work with the Ken Blanchard Companies, besides you, (laughs) um, was the colleagues that you had. The founding associates of the Ken Blanchard Companies, I wanted to be around like-minded thinkers Mm -hmm. who really cared about excellence and quality. And those peers, who were actually mentors in the beginning and now they're peers, has been the greatest gift Mm -hmm. in my career. I can honestly say that.
2: Yeah, because when Marge and I founded the company with had six people that were all with us in umass that we kind of call our founding associates and and it was just really fun because we all had a dream about what, how we could make a difference together and and uh, i i think it's uh it's so important to to look around you and realize you might have your best mentor might be somebody who's a close friend yeah and all, uh, one of the things I do, you'll get a kick out of this thinking when I interview people for jobs, I tell you, tell me about your old friends. Mm. And if they can't tell me about any old friends, then I don't want them working here because they've cut themselves off. You know, I mean, I, I got old buddies that I've met in the fifth grade, you know, and uh, I like and, that. That's uh, good. It, yeah. Yeah. Great
1: interview question.
2: Yeah, it really gets to
1: people. (laughs) It's it's really, really, it's out of the box. I like it. It's powerful. You know, if someone asks that question, it'll reveal a lot about them that you wouldn't otherwise be able to find out. So I, I think it's brilliant, Ken. Well done. Okay, so we like to end off each episode by asking you, our expert, for your top Three expert action steps that you recommend our listener take on and take their business to the next level. So, what are yours?
2: Well, I don't know. I still go back to the woman and manager. Those are three pretty good ones, you know, is that uh, you got to make sure that you and the people around you are clear on goals. And then, of all the things I've ever taught, Nikki, if somebody said, Blanche, I'm going to take everything away except one thing, what would you hold on to? I'd hold on to the second secret of the woman and manager, which is the key to developing great relationships and great organizations is to catch people doing things right and accent the positive and get engaged in one-minute praisings. And and then if people, you know, aren't living up to expectations, we used to call it one-minute uh, reprimand. Now we call it one-minute redirects. Uh, it's a chance to give people feedback because don't sit around and, and, and say, my God, they're not performing and all that kind of thing, and then wait around and then, <laughs> then cut them loose, the feedback should be the closest uh, to the event that you possibly can. And how can you help people uh, win by making sure that they don't continue to do stuff that's detrimental to what that's they're great. trying to accomplish?
0: I just wrote a, my first solo authored academic journal uh, article awesome. that's coming out in May. I know it was really quite a process I've never been through before uh, but I, I loved it and it, it's on three new leadership competencies that I really feel need to be integrated into the workplace and um, it's based on the science of motivation and so it's to really encourage autonomy to to um, if, if we could ask others and ask ourselves every day what choices have you made and what choices did you make today that you liked and that you felt good about what choices did you wish you hadn't made and you know what could Kind of choices would you make tomorrow um, that that might uh, you know make things higher quality in your life. Uh, The second thing is around the psychological need of relatedness. And so to ask every day, what brought you meaning today? How did you contribute to the welfare of someone else? Um, How did you contribute to the greater good? So really talking about the connection that we have and how we belong to a community. And what are you doing to foster that community and meaning in your own life and the meaning of others? And then the third question is, what did you learn today? Which is our psychological need for competence. And so what did you learn today? How did you grow? Uh, What did you learn today that might help you be better tomorrow? Or that if you shared it or taught someone else, it could help improve the quality of their life or their work. So what choices have I made? How did I find meaning? And how did I grow and learn? I think if we just either asked ourselves those questions every day, or as leaders asked our, our people those questions every day, that we'd be helping people thrive in the workplace and we'd all be thriving in life a lot more.
1: Brilliant. Love both sets of the three expert action steps. They were fantastic. So, listener, if you're listening to this episode today, you need to go and pick up a copy of the book, Self-Leadership and the One-Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard and Susan Fowler right away. Run, don't walk to the bookstore or run, don't walk to your Amazon account on your computer or mobile device. And don't just order one for yourself, but order five extra copies to give to your friends and the people you care about the most. This is a fabulous book. And I understand that Ken and Susan, you also have a program by the same title that people can get as well. What's the website that they can go find out about that?
0: Uh, If they go to the Ken Blanchard Company's website, uh, it's self-leadership, and all the information is there. Uh, We're teaching this course literally around the world, and it's uh, something we're really proud of.
2: And we actually have a third author on our book, and that's Laurie Hawkins, who was one of the original founding associates uh, who came into one of my classes in 1970 at the University of Massachusetts, and And, wonderful guy.
0: And uh, my greatest champion. If it wasn't for Lori, I wouldn't be sitting here. Yeah, Yeah.
2: Fantastic.
1: So make sure that you get a copy of that book and make sure that you uh, check out the program. And if in your mind you've been thinking to yourself while listening to this episode— Do I have the chops to be the Ken Blanchard, the Susan Fowler, the Laurie Hawkins of my niche? Have I got what it takes to be a thought leader and get my expertise out there? And if you're nervous, if you're scared, if you've got some chattering monkeys in the back of your head saying, no, 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 you don't. Forget about it. You'll never be like them. Don't let them choke off your dream. Jump on a call with us. Go to ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Set up a 30 to 45 minute appointment with myself or a member of my team. And we can help you figure out what your intellectual property is and what it's worth. And if you know that you already have intellectual property and you want to find out a way to commercialize it more effectively, jump on that same call. Use that same link, ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment appointment. And let's jump on a call and let's help you make your dream come true. It's 2018. You deserve to have this be the best year of your life. Take advantage of it right now so that you can be the Ken Blanchard, the Susan Fowler, the Lori Hawkins of your market niche. Susan, Ken, thank you so much for being on the show. You guys are awesome. Come back anytime.
0: Well, back at you, Nikki. I,
1: I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Take care of yourself. God bless. My pleasure. And thank you. That wraps up another episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guests and to pick up a copy of their book, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. You'll have all the links to the Ken Blanchard Company websites in there. And if you've been wondering what your intellectual property is worth in the marketplace and you want to find out how to commercialize it better, jump on a call with us at ecircleacademy.com forward slash appointment. Until next time, bye-bye.